and welcome back to another exciting episode of DSLR Film New Podcast. Mitch from Planet 5D joins me today to discuss all kinds of stuff. We are getting slammed with IBC announcements. But first, Mitch, what have you been up to, man? Hey, DJ. That still doesn't work. Why didn't I get that fixed before we started this show? Oh. I'm from a website called... Planet 5D. Thanks for asking. Um, <laughs> I just have to find that because I love that. That gal was recorded in a car, by the way, when, when the guys did that for me. Long story short. Anyway, the Canon Expo is happening right now, yesterday and today, by the way. And no, I'm not there. I'm not in New York City, uh, which is unfortunate because I really wanted to go to New York. But it's damned expensive. Anyway, long story short, Hugh Brownstone has been covering that for Planet 5D. We have some awesome video that's going to be coming up as soon as he gets back to the office, which means it won't be up until Monday, most likely. But he's also got a 35-minute interview with Chuck Westfall, which I have seen a preview of. Uh, for those of you who don't know, DJ, do you know Chuck Westfall? I do. Yay, there's a name that DJ actually knows. Anyway, sorry, DJ, just have to rip you for that one. Oh, that's okay. He's a fairly well-known individual for all kinds of canon talk. So um, luckily, I can remember one name out of thousands of names that are given to me on a regular basis. But Oh, go ahead. No, that's fine. But <laughs> get you swallowed. When you spit the water out at the camera, that's when I really get uh, I'm going to try not to do that today. On my end, I've been playing around with this guy, and we'll talk about it more. This is the Panasonic LX100. Kind of broke down and ended up going for something that shoots 4K in a point-and-shoot, more zoom range-esque thing than my Hero 4. But we'll talk about that. Uh, otherwise, I've just been editing nonstop, continuously, for ever. I'm tired of editing. I don't want to edit anymore. I'm hopefully going to be done with this soon. I'll be starting the convention circuit here in October. So if anybody wants to check me out, I will be at Horror Hound over in, I believe, Chicago, as well as Minneapolis, as well as Texas Frightmare Weekend in Texas, because it's Texas. Some interesting names. Horror Hound? Yes. Huh? I've got two horror feature-length films coming out, Isabel and Shivers Down Your Spine. So if anybody Ooh. likes low-budget bad horror movies, I'm on it. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, man. Okay, on that note, I think we've got a lot to cover today. It's yeah. time for the news. Time for the news. Time for the news. Time. For the news. First thing on the list here is actually probably one of the biggest announcements out there. And there's already questions popping up in the question section as we started the show. The Sony A7S Mark II. We've seen a A7R, we've seen an A7 II, and now we're finally getting the A7S. Looks like a lot of the stuff that we were originally expecting, we're going to get the same sensor. So a 12.2 megapixel sensor. They've included S-Log in this, so now you have a little bit more dynamic range to work with. It now has internal 4K recording, and they've added the coveted 5-axis image stabilization. Now, one of the things before we dive too deep into this that I wanted to discuss is the fact that the A7S original was pretty bad when you sent 4K footage out through the HDMI port to an external recorder. It was, it was fairly noisy. Now, 
I've got a still here, and I want to show you guys this. And I kind of was talking with Mitch before the show about this. But here's a still frame from Sony's advertisement about this. And uh, you can see here that there is a lot of noise. It's very dark. This is 25,600 ISO. And the internal 4K recording, uh, it's pretty mushy and noisy along the edges. Do you think that'll be a problem, Mitch? Well... Let's first give a caveat that most people never shoot other cameras over ISO 6400. True. So, granted, we're jumping up to 25600. Uh, so there, there is that caveat, uh, but it does look a surprising, a little bit surprisingly noisy for what I was expecting to be the incredible low light king right i mean you know it goes up to four hundred and six thousand two hundred or whatever that right number is yeah the hundred thousand range and i've got my a7s right here is very good at shooting 1080p all the way up to you know the like i said a hundred thousand or so iso but right. uh you know you get 4k out of that and now suddenly the footage because you can see so much more resolution out of the sensor it gets kind of ugly whereas at 1080p, there's enough compression that it looks pretty nice. And I'm guessing we're going to see the same thing with the A7S Mark II. Uh, also, I got pricing in here. It looks like $3,000, so a little bit less than a 5DS. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, pricing was in the press release at 3000 US. And they are talking about shipping November timeframe, which is... Pretty daggum soon, if you think about it. I can't believe it's already the middle of September-ish. Uh, and you've got a whole lot of stuff going on in October, and November will be here in a hurry. Now, we've heard for a while that the A7 II and the A7R II have really good AF with an adapter for Canon lenses. Uh, do you think that's going to be the case with the A7S Mark II? They they even specifically mention enhanced autofocus in the press release. Now you got to remember, folks out there, that we've just seen this like an hour or two hours ago. So we're <laughs> scrambling just like you guys are to try to dive into all of this stuff. Not to mention the fact that there are like three or four other cameras that we got to talk about, and microphones, and and all other stuff. So. We don't have all the details on this yet, so please give us a slight break in terms of knowing all these kind of details. But they do specifically mention advanced, enhanced autofocus for video. And I haven't gotten far enough in there to really totally understand that. Uh, I watched a couple of the example videos of AF in action, and it looks like they have on-the-fly video autofocus that works with the camera and they were comparing it to the a7s which also has sort of a rudimentary version of that and it did look like it was faster uh, af in general on the a7r mark ii has been much improved over the original a7 and a7r but it's still not nearly as snappy from the results i've seen as say a canon 5d mark iii or my panasonic gh4 now the other issue is with the a7s it shoots in extreme low light, but the AF system doesn't really keep up with extreme low light. So you start getting into the really high ISO range above 6400 and into the 25,600 range, and 
your AF is kind of useless. It hardly focuses. It'll take uh, a while to hunt and, and find focus. And that's with a native Sony lens. You put Canon glass on the original A7S and it's kind of awful <laughs> at, at autofocusing, period. You better manual focus, basically. If they can even get that to where it's sort of acceptable to okay with the A7S Mark II, that would be something. And 4K recording internally, I mean, I did mention that the it's noisy. Uh, th- that's the case, but still, you know, at least you have that option now as opposed to before you had to use an external recorder. So you'd right. buy like a $3,000 camera. You buy an external recorder for another two grand. Now you're up to $5,000 and you're still going to get probably similar results. I mean, I know the Kodak and compression rate for like a Shogun is is better than probably what you're going to get out of the XAVC that's recorded uh, inside this camera particularly. I did not get a chance to find out what the uh, Kodak uh, compression rate is on this. So uh, if anybody finds that, let me know. I got all these news results as soon as I woke up this morning, so I've been reading through everything. (laughs) Mitch, you have anything to add to that? Surprise! What an early morning awakening for you. Uh, I find it interesting... Uh, I don't remember the original list price of the A7S, uh, but I was just looking on Amazon, and the and the current price on the A7S is twenty four ninety eight, so twenty five hundred. So this is five hundred dollars more. Is it? Do you remember what the original list price of the A7S was? I want to say I paid thirty two hundred dollars for mine out of the gate. Oh, so range, yeah, yeah. Okay. But now we have the A7R Mark II, and people have been claiming. Uh, that's good down to 25,600 ISO. So is it enough of a jump with the A7S Mark II in terms of low light performance to make it as attractive as it was previously? Well, that's a good question. I know that's what I'm thinking. Like the first thing I I thought of when I saw this is like, wait a minute. It's a 12.2 megapixel sensor. They haven't really updated any sensor technology in the A7S. They're simply adding five-axis image stabilization, some better algorithms in the background to handle noise, and S-Log in order to give you a little bit more dynamic range. And those are all great features, don't get me wrong. But the A7R Mark II already has the BMI sensor that has the backlighting technology in it and gives you better low-light performance, higher megapixel, and so on. And it's priced almost, what is it? I think is it $3,200 for the A7R Mark II? Does that sound right? Amazon has it for $3,200, yeah. Yeah, so $3,200. So it's only $200 more to get to their high-megapixel camera. And the A7S, it was already good, at low light performance but now that its siblings have sort of caught up is it as attractive i don't know i mean to me not really i might end up just sticking with my a7s or if i were going to upgrade going to the a7r mark ii uh i don't know again i'm still kind of debating this in my mind as soon as you see a new camera you're like "Ooh, i should buy that Ooh, i should buy that Uh, but then that's the trap we fall into as filmmakers and photographers Right. And, and you can still make damn good films with the A7S, right? Uh, I, I, I tend to think the lines are really getting blurred here because of the fact that they're so similar. And everybody likes the A7S for the low light. 
and that's about its only only real advantage at this point, right? Is it super low light capability? Exactly. If you're comparing it to the A7R two, um, and they're within two hundred dollars of each other, so uh, I tend to tend to think that. And how many people are technically shooting low light, right? Maybe you horror fiction guys, but... That's me right here. Man, <laughs> I will say there is something extremely pleasant when you're out in a field somewhere and you don't have any sort of gen set, you don't have any electrical, and you can grab four or five cell phones, put a white light on them, and light your entire scene with the A7S, and get acceptable to good footage quality out of your shoot. And I've had to right. do that on three or four occasions, and that's where the A7S is really shine for me. But uh, at the same time, trying to get 4K out of that in the same situation, the footage wasn't very good. It was very, very noisy, um, not clean at all. But when it compresses down to 1080p, then you're in a good spot again. So... I would have liked to have seen some sensor tech updates in the A7S line since they've done that for the A7R and the A7. And instead, we're getting the same sensor. Maybe Sony feels like they've got this market cornered enough that right. they don't really have to do anything special other than add the token features, uh, five-axis image stabilization, and oh. you know, 4K recording. Token features? Those are the ones everybody's been demanding, okay? So they're not token, but... <laughs> I get you there, uh, you know, because we were just talking a week or two ago about how nice it would be to have the five axis and the uh, 4K internal, and that's what we get. We got what we were asking for, so good for good for Sony for taking care of that. Now, there's some links in the show notes, guys, if you want to check those out when uh, I get those posted uh, to Planet Five D's write up. They've got some good video of both image stabilization autofocus and low light performance uh, that's basically from Sony's catalog of current press releases for this camera. So go check those out. The image stabilization, the five axis image stabilization does look really good. They've got that scene where they're on a boat and they've got the A7 and the A7 or the A7S and the A7S Mark II. I wish we could get some easier names here. Um, <laughs> next to each other. And the image stabilization is doing a fantastic job of correcting and balancing out the image uh now before we move on to the next one on the list here mitch what do you think about the current generation of, of five axis image stabilization is this going to move us away from sort of these uh three axis gyro rigs that we're using right now and we're just going to go to in-body stabilization for most things you know, that's a dead gum interesting question, and I don't know that I've seen any real comparisons. Uh, I tend to think that there are still some very good uses for the ability to, um, I don't know, maybe I'm making it up, to have a, a, having that stabilization with two hands in a large rig, of course, and what I, as I'm talking, I'm thinking, well, of course, you could put the a7r on a rig and do the same thing right yeah i'm i've just have you seen any comparisons of the five axis stabilization versus a gimbal 
I have not. Um, I've used a couple of cameras with five axis image stabilization and walked around with them. And I'll tell you, with just a small amount of practice, it's pretty easy to get very nice, smooth, stable shots going handheld. There is still a market, I think, for the bigger rigs, especially if you have large cameras. And also if you're using a quadcopter and you're flying because then you need something that's remote to right. sort of handle stabilization. But when the, the the entire rig will set you back, these three-axis rigs will set you back probably 600 to $1,000. You know, do you want to practice with that rig? Because you still have to balance that thing. You still have to set it up. One of the things that I've run into with my dives into that particular market is that I'm not good at balancing that thing out. I am awful at it. I have not gotten much in the way of useful footage. I've had friends over that are are trained and pros at it, and they're able to set it up and balance it for me. But when I take over, I fail horribly. And to me, it's actually more attractive to have five-axis image stabilization in camera than to have external stuff already. Because, I, you know, honestly, I shoot a lot of handheld as is, and... I feel like my arms are fairly stable and with a little bit of extra help from a five axis image stabilization system, I think that would be perfect for me. I don't know, Mitch, what do you think? Would you go with that? I think that's a very freaking good point, which I hadn't really thought about. Um, The, I have gotten a couple of demos and I was just looking around the room because I thought I had one handy, but I don't. But anyway, uh, I have gotten a couple of products that are stabilization products. And frankly, I have the same problem you do. I spend an hour, hour and a half futzing around with the dang thing, trying to get it to balance. And by the time I do, I'm so tired of dealing with it. I'm like, okay, enough of that. And I move on to something else. Uh, So I think that's a very valid point. Not to mention the fact that those are, Anywhere from, I mean, the cheapy ones are a couple hundred bucks up to several thousand, you know, $5,000. And if that, if you can get a close approximation in camera, then that, that's worth a lot of money, isn't it? Oh, yeah. And, you know, you're paying what, $400, $500 between the A7S and the new A7S, the five axis image stabilization in there. Uh, as good as it looks and as good as we've seen examples with the A7R, I mean, to me, that might be worth 500 bucks because I would spend that on an image stabilization system or a platform, and then there's the balancing and all the other headaches. Yeah. I don't think those are ever going to go away, and I think they're still kind of eroding the vest and the, the big stabilizer unit market, but right. it, it's not going to be – I think – we're going to see this in even Panasonic's next release, you know, because Olympus has already got it going. Uh, Sony's got it going. Uh, Canon, I, I'm sure Canon will eventually get in-camera stabilization built in, you know, and so pretty soon every camera on the market will have this, just like 4K shooting, you know. We're seeing the GH4 was first. Now every camera brand is starting to bring 4K shooting into even their lowest end lineup, so those two features, once everybody has them, then they're going to get really good. They're going to get to where, you know, you expect them. And when I say token features, I shouldn't say that. You're absolutely right to correct me, Mitch. But I think that 
that now we have those in so many different camera brands that we we come to expect it. We come to expect 4K in any new camera that comes out. We come to expect some sort of stabilization system in new cameras. Uh, S-Log, that's why people were kind of outraged about the GH4 charging or Panasonic charging $99 oh. for uh, V-Log is because, you know, now we're getting cameras that have log format built in, you know, ready to go. You don't even have to worry about it. Are you going to pay more money to get that feature? Probably not because you expect it now that everybody's given it to you. Uh, yeah. Is it wrong to, to pay for it? I don't know. I don't think so. I've been mulling that over in my head. And I think, well, if they want to keep developing firmware for that instead of working on the next camera, it is sort of beneficial to give them an incentive to do so. Um, not to go completely off topic there, but Mitch, you have anything to add to that, man? No, I think, I think you're, you're very much on target there. Uh, I do find it interesting. And as I said, Canon has some interesting things to say in the video that we'll have available next week. Uh, you know, a people, a sidebar, people are bashing Canon at this point because Canon doesn't have five axis stabilization, doesn't have 4k in any kind of inexpensive DSLR, you know, it's coming. But one of the arguments I keep having with Hugh, our writer is Canon's Canon's idea is they want to get to it when it's, when the market is right. And they want to do it right. Sort of like Apple tends to do, you know, they do it right. Um, they're not bleeding edge. Canon never really has been bleeding edge. I mean, the 5D Mark II was an example where they happened to stumble into it. It wasn't really a major design to be the filmmaking camera of all time. But so give Canon a little bit of time. They'll work into it. They're they're going to get into 4K. You know, I mean, still really, they have 4K cameras, but they're at the top of the line, right? So. Canon will get there just like everybody else is. They're just slower and plod a little bit. Anyway, let's move on to the next camera because we're already 22 minutes in. We oh, haven't man. About item number two. Item number two on the list is the Sony FS5 announced uh, announcement. This is basically a bigger version APS-C sensor. It's uh, super 35 millimeter 4K shooting capabilities, has built-in ND filters, as well as 422 and 420-8-bit recording internally. Uh, basically, all the specs that you want to see out of a runaround film camera, and I don't know why we say film camera anymore, because there's no film in this thing, but... <laughs> this is priced extremely attractively. Without a lens, you're talking about $6,700. With a lens, $7,300. Now, I'm going to show you guys a picture of this here so you can take a closer look. Man, does this thing look sexy. And it is an E-mount, so all of your E-mount glass, if you've collected some of that, which is kind of out there, I do not have much in the way of E-mount glass, it is available for this camera. This is This looks nice. This is cutting the price on uh, Sony's sort of mid to top range cameras and bringing in a lot of those features and yeah. including, you know, there's no external box that you have to connect to this in order to get 4k recording. What do you think this is going to do to the higher end models that are out there right now, Mitch? Well, they're just going to stop selling the damn things. That's what's going to happen. They're going to go broke because this camera's good. Never mind. <laughs> Uh, by the way, Dave Dugdale's watching. Hi, Dave. Thanks for the comments. Um, 
You know who Dave Dugdale is, right? You know names. <laughs> I do actually know Dave. We used to live pretty close to each other, so we, we'd grab food every once in a while. Yeah. Uh, nice features in this particular camera barking dog in the background. Uh, <laughs> DJ's like, oh no, where's that dog going? Uh, interesting feature that I've not seen before on any other camera is this new electronic ND filter. Did you see that? conversation about that i did see a brief mention of that in the notes here and it does look interesting i'm not 100 sure how that works are they I'm not either yet are they man my dog is gonna just drive me nuts today <laughs> I, I don't know what's going on so uh, it, side note it, here my wife actually just left for work she normally handles my animals while i'm running around so now i'm in charge of them and i'm not very good at being in charge uh, okay, well, we'll just ignore the dog for now, I guess. Uh, if you want, by the way, uh, the go the guys over at newsshooter.com have an awesome article with a gob of information about this new FS5 uh, with some details. Because I, I apologize again, I haven't even been able to read that article, but they've got an interview with Dan Lenny that's about 10 minutes They've got an interview with a Sony rep that's about 20 minutes going over lots of details about this thing. And they've got just massive amounts of data in their article. They obviously got early information that we never got. <gasps> uh, but go over there. Newshooter.com has a great story if you want to know a lot about the FS5. Now, one more thing I wanted to mention on the FS5 that's kind of interesting is the handle uh, that looks suspiciously similar to the C100, C300, and C500 sort of external control handle setup. Uh, are they trying to copy Canon a little bit here with this guy? Oh, no. Nobody would ever copy Canon because they're so far behind in the market. <laughs> There's one other feature, too, that's interesting. Uh, besides the electronic ND filter, this has auto ND, which uh, apparently will maintain exposure automatically by adjusting the ND on this guy on the fly. So very cool tech. I have not read this entire article yet, and it's on my list of things to do. Mitch surprised me this morning with a whole bunch of presents to <laughs> catch up on. So yeah. yeah, he he wakes up, and, and I'm adding tons of stuff to the show notes. He's got this long list of things to cover, and I'm just keep adding new stuff as the morning goes on, and it's like suddenly showtime, and we're like, ah! Oh, we're going to cover all this. Well, we can't, obviously. But All right, now we've got something on the notes here that I can talk somewhat reasonably about because I have it in my hands right here. And this is the Panasonic LX100. This little guy is capable of shooting 4K. It has a 24 to 75 millimeter lens that has f1.7 all the way up to f2.8. So in this body, you basically have a micro four-thirds sensor, you have a very good zoom range for walk-around photography and video, and it's capable of shooting 4K. There's some specs in the show notes, but the reason I got this is because originally I jumped on that 4K recording micro four-thirds camera that was on Kickstarter to replace my GoPro. And the reason right. is, is my GoPro is sort of frustrating in that 4K out of it is is very wide. That's useful sometimes, especially if you're doing extreme sports or something like that but a lot of times you don't want that focal range 
And I know I could put a rib cage on it, tear my GoPro apart, and add C-mount lenses to it if I really wanted to. But I also don't have time or the – I do have the ability. I just don't have the time to accomplish that. So in the meantime, I wanted something that would be able to capture 4K in somewhat of the same range as my GH4. And the LX100, Craigslisted this guy for 475 so less than the cost of a Hero 4 Black Edition. And so far, I'm pretty impressed with this. Uh, definitely good picture quality. Uh, photography with this is very nice. Autofocus is extremely fast. There are some tricks, though. And uh, since Mitch doesn't have one of these in the hand, I'm not going to throw this over to him too much on this. But... Yeah. The one frustrating thing is that this camera is sort of designed to do one thing at a time. With the GH4 or the the uh, 5D Mark III or any of these other cameras, they sort of have a mode where you switch from video to photography. With the LX100, this is really set up to do photography, and then you have to go through the menus, change a few things, and do video. And I've seen a few reviews on this that say that there are a bunch of problems the problems are mostly in going through the menu and fixing certain settings to get this set up specifically to shoot 4K video. Um, if you have it in photography mode, for example, and you go to film, uh, it actually crops down to what your field of view will be once you hit the record button for 4K. So you're not able to frame correctly. But if you oh. go into the menu, you can change that so that it's in 4K shooting mode, which automatically starts recording with the shutter button after it pulls focus. And that corrects that. The other thing is autofocus. It wants to hunt because it's set up for photography. So it's trying to find its focus point every time you get going uh, with video. And it'll hunt back and forth. And it's very obnoxious. But if you go into the menu setting and you change that, and I'll put together a list for everybody once I get done writing a full review on this. But uh, there are about 12 settings you need to go through specifically to make this into a great video camera. Uh, and those settings need to be changed back in order to go to uh, photography camera. So there are three or four user settings available in this camera, and I would suggest, once I have the list together, programming them into one of those so you can switch easily between your user right. mode and the photography mode for this guy. Uh, cool. Other than that, though, low-light performance on this, way better than you get out of the RX10 or the RX100. It is only a 12-megapixel sensor, so... Not as high resolution. You're not getting 20 megapixels out of it. But still, use price makes this thing very sexy. You have anything to add on that, Mitch? Would you go with a point and shoot, or is that kind of weird? And I th I think you've... I, it's awesome the way you have taken something and customized it for your use. I mean, that's really what you're doing. It's, it's a list price on Amazon of $697. So if you ended up getting it for... What do you say? Four ninety. Four seventy five, man. I had to jump on it when I saw that price. It was like, yeah. uh, and the specs look pretty damn good. So, I mean, most people I think that watch this show are already going to have a, a photography camera, right? They're going to have a camera that shoots photos. So they may end up just taking something like this, leaving it programmed to do video. And that's what they use it for and not switch back and forth. I mean, I would be tempted to do that if that were me, because I've, I've got a 5D that I go out and shoot, you know, photos with uh, or my 
iPhone, which by the way got 4K announcement this was this week. We we don't even have that in the show notes. But... I know I love that out. We just had so many good things to cover. It's like <laughs> so so I I'm I'm impressed. I really like your ability to look at something and say, hey, I could use that in this particular mode and stick with it. Where other people would go, eh, it's a point and shoot. Why bother? <laughs> yeah, the one thing I am disappointed about on this guy, and uh, this will be in the full review, but uh, no uh, audio inputs. So you just have this kind of really crappy microphone here on the bottom, which is on the a, bottom. A, yeah, on the bottom. So everything that's recorded audio wise on this is echoey as heck. So you're going to have to use external audio recording, which honestly, if you're shooting on a Hero 4, you're probably going to have to do that as well. Um, I do know that there is a USB to 3.5 millimeter adapter for the Hero 4 Black Edition, but you know by the time you do that, you're almost into the range of recording externally and syncing. So, just something right. to keep in mind. Uh, this thing is definitely something that will be in my kit, and it's so small. Look at how cute this is that I can just toss it in a bag with any of my other cameras and be good to go. Now, so if there, oh, go so ahead. you're saying there there are inputs on the bottom. So you can't really put it on a plate? No, the microphone input on this is on the bottom. See that little oh. set of four holes right there? Uh, oh, a lot of cameras will re, uh, right. set up a microphone sort of near the top or something like that so that you have a good audio capture. Um, right. uh, the formatting and setup for this is, is not ideal for good quality audio. And there is one little mark right here on the top. That may also be a second microphone of some kind. Um, still looking in the manual to find out why this sounds so tinny and gross when audio is recorded into it. So if you get one of these and you're expecting to use it for like blogging or YouTube videos or something like that, uh, be aware that you're going to need like a Zoom H1 or something like that in order to record audio externally. Uh, the other thing is, see this plate right here? This is actually kind of a nice feature. You open this up. Oh. And your lens is always protected, and you come back out, and it closes around it. So uh, yeah. that is kind of a nice thing to add to that. And you can take this apart and add other adapters as well. So uh, they've thought this out pretty well. I'm guessing now that I've purchased this, there'll be a new model coming out next week that <laughs> negates my purchase. But whatever. So you can't change lenses on that, though, right? It's fixed. Yeah, it's fixed. Um the lens is very good, but it is a fixed uh, zoom range, and you can't change anything out. It is using a four-thirds sensor, but the four-thirds sensor that's used in this camera is basically sort of cropped in just a little bit. So the image range, when you go from uh, 3.2 to 16.9 or you change your aspect ratio, you are still getting that full section of the sensor, but the edge portions of the sensor's isn't it is it's not used so they're basically saving money on this camera by using sensors from the gh4 production line their 16 megapixel sensor and they're not making the cut because they have some dead sensor sites on the top or the bottom and they're shoving them into this camera and cropping in just a little bit to kind of reuse those chips that would otherwise get tossed in the trash so that's huh. how they're able to offer this at kind of a reduced price and it's it's interesting oh. You know some stuff, man. 
Well, uh, to nerd out just a second here, um, maybe no one's interested in this at all, but when you fabricate sensors, the part where things go sideways, because it's a lithography uh, process, which is basically a beam of light that's shined down onto a surface in order to create these things, it's always best in the middle. And as you start to move out towards the edges, because you're changing the angle of refraction and you're sweeping away the, the... failure rate is higher towards the edges than it is towards the center. So if they're able to reuse a wafer that had, you know, 20% failures by simply using the center of that, as opposed to the outside of that, you can get more money out of each individual wafer fab, which is pretty cool and a great way to like offer better low light performance in something like this for cheaper than some of the competitors. Um, <laughs> Sony, uh, in that case. So good job, Panasonic way to think around the box. Okay. That's enough. And too deep into the sensor tech. Interesting. Next up on the list here is a bunch of road announcements. Actually, I don't know how many we're going to cover, but we'll try to get to them before the end of the show. First thing on the list is actually this XLR audio adapter for the iPhone. Looks like this is going to be using the new port on the bottom of the iPhone. It provides XLR inputs as well as start-stop recording via this button right here. You also have 20 dB of gain internally as well as a headphone output in order to monitor audio recording. Mitch, I know you use something similar to this Will this attract you into buying an iXLR from Rode? Well, uh, first off, Rode is a major sponsor of Planet 5D. So, you know, I buy everything that they ever put out because it's awesome stuff. I find it interesting. uh, There was another company, and and I was going to look it up, but I ran out of time, that was going to create an XLR to iPhone adapter cable, and they actually shipped me one, a prototype, and we posted it on Planet 5D, and I discovered that the daggum thing didn't work. <laughs> and, and they they sort of discovered that after they sent me the prototype as well, and they said, well, let's not talk about it anymore. We're going to fix it, and we're going to make it work. And there was something internal with the iPhone that they just had a lot of trouble with, and they never could get the daggum thing to work. So we never did it. So here comes Rode putting out this iXLR with uh, fancy attachments. So it's interesting that they've been able to make this work in that regard. Uh, The iRig Pre that you mentioned in the show notes uh, is only 30 bucks. So I agree with you. Pricing on this is going to be really interesting. There is a new also road uh, recording app, and I don't know whether the app is going to be free. I think they charge five bucks for the road rec app. But the the video that I saw on this is sort of aiming this at the guys that are going out to shoot interviews and stuff. Uh, they currently have like a road NTG mic or you know need to do an interview and they only have an iPhone to deal with. Maybe, I don't know, it's kind of crazy, right? You're going to have other kinds of <laughs> gear with you. If you got if you got your mic with you, you're not going to just suddenly not have a recorder, right? But anyway. Watching the demo video for this, was it kind of made me chuckle because they were setting up a five to $10,000 camera 
And then the guy's like, no, I'm going to put this earpiece in and I'm going to use my iPhone to record audio instead of using a proper lav setup. What? I don't know that that's going to happen, but I I think they were trying to emphasize that this is also for pros as well as uh, prosumers. The problem is with this market, I mean, it is great with uh, using the uh, connector on the iPhone, you're going digital inside of the device and then sending that into your phone specifically, whereas something like the iRig Pre uses that tip ring ring sleeve adapter to bring that into your phone and bring audio back out again. So the path is 100% analog, whereas the encoding is done, it looks like, in this iXLR inside of the device. So if they have better DACs inside of this, which are digital to analog converters and analog to digital converters, then you could plausibly see better audio out of the Rode adapter. But no one's really complaining about the audio out of something like the iRig Pre. And there's uh, Tascam makes several versions of this. And there's five or six other flavors of this kind of uh, analog adapter for your phone. I've also got a great hack you can find at DSLRFilmNoob.com that shows you how to turn that into something for your regular camera. So if this is priced above 50 or 60 bucks, it's going to be a hard sell for a lot of people, even if it does have superior audio quality, just because... In that range, you're looking for more affordability than you are for super high quality. And at some point, it becomes good enough when it's only 25 or 30 bucks. Right. Very true. And don't let Rode hear me say that. Although Rode is not a sponsor of DSLRFilmNoob.com. They do make some great products. And in fact, right here, as you can see, I'm using a Rode... Uh, pro caster microphone because it sounds great it makes my voice sound very deep and throaty um so they do great stuff don't get me wrong it's just that this may not be for my market particularly and may not be for many other markets out there the other road announcement i'm gonna skip over to this real quick while i'm going through road stuff and man do you think we can fit everything else in this show into the i don't know there's another one? Yeah, this oh, is the Rode Mini, and oh, or the Rode it. Me, actually. And I've got a link to that here. Uh, this mini? is basically a really tiny version of the Rode video mic that can be attached to your phone, to a tablet, to your camera. And in this case, the demo here is of a Rode Me attached to an iPhone so that you can do video calls with a friend uh but it yeah selfies uh here's some other stuff uh but the picture in the show notes itself is actually of one that's designed specifically to go into a little shock mount with an adapter that goes into your camera uh this is interesting and 59 dollars that is a sweet spot because now if you are one of those people and i know people that do this that are trying to move from having a PC or a MacBook or whatever to doing everything they possibly can on their phone. Now with something like this, you could feasibly do somewhat professional video calls with your phone and another person. And maybe maybe they won't even know that you're on your phone because now you have good quality audio and you're not even wearing a headset or anything like that. What do you think, Mitch? $59 is the right price for this guy? Oh, it's a dadgum good price. And 
I think one of the things, I don't know how much you've been paying attention, but there are a lot of people who are jumping on to Periscope. A Periscope. Yeah. That sort of ephemeral video stuff is kind of weird to me. Uh, It's just like, really? You're going to live broadcast your meal? You're going to live? I mean, there are points where it's interesting where, you know, they can cover events and they can do it live. But it was the same thing with uh, what was the other video platform recently where your videos disappeared in 24 hours. I mean, you create all this content and then your stuff just goes away. Periscope does that. Your your video does disappear after 24 hours if you don't save it yourself. And there are ways to get around that. Uh, lots of lots of opportunities coming there. But uh, there are people that are doing a lot of things like Periscope, and I'd like to see uh, that. Road is thinking about those people and other people are going to come up with mics too, by the way, but because most of the time those, the mics, the, the audio you hear out of a selfie video really sucks. Uh, so this is, this is an interesting market ploy on their part. And I think they'll probably sell quite a few of these. Yeah. And this could be a really nice option for vine users as well. Uh, imagine having this, uh, for your seven second video. So now your audio sounds much much better uh in general if you can make your audio better than what you get out of your phone or anything else it takes your video quality from sort of amateurish all the way up to pro-esque and then i've seen projects and i've worked on projects where the footage they captured was eh, eh, not so good but once the audio was cleaned up, a soundtrack was added, things were done to really clean up the, the sound score and uh, add effects and stuff like that. It went from basically junk to something that was marketable and easy enough to sell. And that's the case with a lot of these things. Good audio is probably 50 to 60% of good film production in general. Right. So uh, this microphone is really interesting. There's a link to it in the show notes here. Uh, find out more. It looks like it's still coming soon, so I don't know when exactly we'll see this hitting the market. I've got... Whoa, how much time do I have? Okay, we've got two more things I want to talk about before we get out of here. Um, this one right here, and actually, I just wanted to compliment Small Rig really quick. Um, I've got this little adapter right here, and I, th- I think I talked about this rig a couple times on the show, but I was complaining that uh, this adapter right here wouldn't allow for a foot on my rig with the Sony a7S. And I may end up using this with the Sony a7S Mark II. I don't know. Uh, you know, purchases purchases uh but they created a swiss plate for me that basically brings this up to the right level and they did it very fast i mentioned the problem they came up with a solution and they sent it out to me right away to test out so great job small rig way to listen to your customers this is excellent really brings this rig up and i don't think it's going to be very expensive probably 25 bucks to get that little adapter so if you're an a7s shooter using an a mount to e mount adapter definitely something cool to look at mitch what do you think about companies responding that fast to updates and ideas in design well that's awesome (laughs) i um, i'm thrilled to see that it's it's the cust it's the companies that listen to their customers that will succeed now i talked about canon before canon is certainly listening to their customers but they are a slow behemoth and make really slow choices uh, the smaller, more nimble companies obviously have the ability to adapt and react. 
And customer service is what wins friends. And I won't go into my long story about uh, the credit card company that just lost my business because of horrible customer support. So it's good to see that kind of customer support. Yeah, I'm pretty happy with uh, Small Rig in general. They've done well by me. So uh, definitely check that out if you are using that particular configuration. Uh, it's probably very specific application. Uh, moving on to another thing that's really, really, really weird. And I wanted to talk about this just because I don't really know what to say exactly on it. And I'm talking about it. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, this is the <laughs> Kodak Pix Pro and this is the SP360. This weird, weird little device here is basically an action cam with a 360-degree viewing. Uh, it does shoot 1080p as well as 4K, and its claim to fame is 360-degree imaging. I didn't know Kodak was even still around. I assumed they got bought or something. Uh, this must be whoever bought them producing products. But 360-degree video, and the reason I also bring this up is because I wanted to talk a little bit about the new move to these 360-degree rigs and filmmaking in general. And I just had a discussion with a software developer from Seattle last week uh, trying to figure out, because he wanted my input on filmmaking with a 360-degree view. And I kind of wanted to bring this up with you, Mitch. How do you edit a 360-degree video? Like, can you have cuts? Can you have transitions? Is that going to make people sick? That's such a weird thing to think about. But if you can see all 360 degrees of the video, where do you put your crew? Well, I, 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 I'm confused by this one, to be frankly honest with you. Okay. When you say when they say 360 degrees, are they really talking about in front of you and behind you? And how do they manage that with just one lens? I'm confused. I am too. I see 360 degrees uh, mentioned all throughout this, but all I see is this one sort of 180 esque degree lens right. on this guy. So it's so it. I'm and and I watched the video and there is a, a section of the video where they show a front view and a rear view. But how can they have a rear view when they've got this thing mounted on a square box? And I'm really confused. I'm sorry. I'm confused by this. Now you know because 180 degrees would be everything in front of you, side to side. You know to the sides, right? And 360 would be behind you. Now. Obviously, if you want to talk about 360 going this way, you end up with a circle, and I can go 360 degrees. And for those of you who are listening to audio, I'm waving my arms up in the air. <laughs> but, you know, so it ends up with a circular image, and we call those 360s, but in reality, it's only 180 degrees because there's nothing behind you. I mean, it's not looking behind you. So I'm confused. I guess I, I terminology is messing me up on this one yeah the i'm not sure on this particular device but that was one of the things that the software developer asked me about he was he was like what have you heard of this new 360 degree kodak camera and it got me thinking about that in general and it, this is discussion is less about this device which is weird right. and strange and more about the fact that eventually people are going to want to have 360 degrees of viewing and how do you 
how do you edit that sort of thing? How do you create a story that way? How do you apply traditional filmmaking techniques to 360 degree fully submersion VR type of stuff? Because now, and this, I'm going to throw this one out here because he was asking me if I could come up with some good examples because uh, I, I was consulting for this group um, to describe what could be made in the future that would be interesting. And one of my thoughts was, okay, what if we do this? And he's like, well, what? I'm like, okay, we shoot a regular film, but we shoot 360 degrees of the room after that, and we we played it together so that when the user is watching a scene, he can look to the side, and the director will be sitting on one side, and he can look to the other side, and the artist will be sitting on the other side. And you can watch interviews or interactions with those people that are in the scenes, and they can tell you about how they shot it, how things were done in that particular scene, and so on. But that's not really a true 360-degree, fully submersive thing. And I couldn't, for the life of me, come up with any method other than you know 100% all the way through start to finish, nonstop, no stopping recording at all, sort of like a Birdman-esque type of adventure to complete this. I don't know. And so I thought maybe Mitch being higher in years than me would have some insight into possible ways to think of this. Oh, now. So, uh, what, Oh, you're going to get it. (laughs) Sorry, man. What you want to look at, by the way, is a website called condition one. And, these guys are doing what you're talking about. Uh, I do. Oh, I'm not going to come up with his name. Come on, damn it. Names. Do you do you remember there was a, a movie that was shot with the Canon 70 out on the battlefield? Oh, yeah. Uh, it was like uh, something of valor. And it was Hurlbut, wasn't it? Shane Hurlbut did Act of Valor. No, there was another movie, and oh, I'm going to be so mad because I cannot come up with his name. Um, long story short, this guy shot this movie with the 5D and the 7D. Anyway, he and his company have moved in. There is Condition One, and what they're doing is is they're creating 360 degree video. And they've adapted it now. They were, were originally using the iPhone and the iPad. So they had an app called the Condition One app. And it was, was virtual because what you would do, is you'd hold the, the iPad up in front of your face and you could move the iPad as if you were standing in this 360-degree environment. So if you were watching, for example, an interview – you could pan back and forth like you would with your real head and see the different people in the scene. And if you really wanted to, you could turn all the way around and see what was going on behind, which would mean you would see the crew and all the camera gear and all that other stuff. And now they're ada- they've adapted it for the Oculus One so that you can wear this visor on your head and be inside these videos. So those guys are actually doing it. You want to go talk to them. Yeah, as a uh, getting my consulting fee, I, I I don't want to point my client in a direction that's not me. But you're absolutely right. I should probably Dan Fong Dennis. 
Steve Google rocks. Dan Fung Dennis is the guy's name that I, and I, I actually met him and talked to him for a while. He's an awesome guy, but well, I'm not saying you point them over to, I'm saying you go look and see what condition one is doing. And then you tell your customer what you, what they want to hear. It is really interesting though, how filmmaking will evolve when we, well, if we move to that. And the other question I have for you, Mitch, and this is kind of along the same lines. Do you think this is just a gimmick? Do you think we're going to see tons and tons of feature length films that are done in a 360 degree manner? Or do you think it's going to stick with the traditional method and this will be sort of the outlier like 3D where, you know, sometimes we get 3D movies. People are sometimes excited, sometimes not. Uh, sometimes it's like poor use of 3D and 360 degrees will fall into that same category. Well, you have to you have to think about the opportunities for displaying this. Now, where is there an existing 360 degree video? If you go to Epcot and go to the Chinese Pavilion, have you ever been to the Chinese Pavilion in Epcot? I've been all over. So, yes. And I've done the Back to the Future ride, which is also, I think, a 360 degree sort of right. view, right? Yeah. But so you've got this, you've got a, a circular room and everybody stands in the middle. So, and there's all this turning around, right? Because there's the problem is people have to be able to turn around, which is why the Oculus Riff thing is a one person only kind of deal. If you're trying to broadcast it to a bunch of people, then they've got to be in a scenario where they can physically turn their body, which means they're typically standing, which is, or, you know, people get dizzy and fall over and all those other problems. Uh, I think I think still in reality, the best option for a long time will be the IMAX theaters where they have the 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 really large dome in front of you, you know, like at the science centers and those kind of places yeah. where you can those really blow me away. And they're they're very limited access because they're a specialized situation. But I love going to see those movies because you feel more immersed in it. Now, my wife, like you asked will not go because they make her sick. When, when there's really fast motion, she isn't able to process that like you and I do, and it makes her nauseous, and she's like, I can't see this. So there are people that are affected like that. Uh, so there are, there are lots of issues. Do I think this is going to happen in the future where everything will become immersive? No. I mean, that's where you're starting to get to Star Trek and you've got the, uh, what did they call that room where you could go in and everything? Was the holodeck, right? Holodeck. Yeah. yeah. 20 years now, but, but they still had TVs. They had screens that they would watch movies and stuff, right? Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I want to see a future where VR is the most important thing ever or augmented reality is, is an option to choose from, but... You're right, Mitch. It, practical use case is still a flat screen that I can interact, you know, using my hands. And until they can make that sort of uh, experience the same, it's not gonna it's not gonna be mainstream. It's gonna be a gimmick. So yeah. I don't know. Okay, now <laughs> imagine. Well, imagine if you know you want to sit down and relax and watch a movie. You can't if you're like wearing giant goggles sitting on your couch that weigh, you know, however many pounds and a cord connected to your head to some sort of desktop computer. Exactly. So I think a specialized use, there's certainly a huge market for that and people will want to be immersed in those kind of things, but that's not going to replace the sit in front of the TV eating breadcrumbs kind of stuff. The other thing that was really interesting talking to these guys, because they're trying to work on a soft 
software platform is rendering, uh, being able to render 1080p for both eyes and keep all of that in sync with each other and have the pixel stream fed into the GPU and sent back out again. They were telling me that honestly, even the top of the line GPUs are barely keeping up with the requirements for that sort of VR application. And we're just not quite there yet to where it could be affordable. So it kind of harkens back to, you remember in the old days in the late nineties, early two thousands where malls would get that like circle box that you put a giant helmet on with a cord attached to it. And you, you know, uh-huh. you would move around inside that and it was like playing star Fox with your hands, you know, you uh-huh. maybe had a sword or something like that. I feel like this market, if it does turn into something, will sort of turn into an amusement park, a you know mall ride, some kind of like uh, immersive experience that you go to like an IMAX, but not a home system that you just own personally, unless you have some pretty significant kit or you're designing for it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're going to pretty much have to have a separate room for it. And some people do put it in your basement or whatever. But but then again, you're not going to have five people over to watch, you know, things unless you've got five sets of headsets, right? Here, wear this $1,000 headset and sit next to me on the couch. We won't see each other for the next two and a half hours, but thanks for coming over and visiting anyway. That was great. Yeah, hand them some popcorn and, you know, end up groping you're the girl sitting next to you anyway all right one last wacky thing to talk about here and uh, this this kind of goes into the story that we talked about a couple of weeks ago about uh that uh m43 sort of tiny little um interchangeable lens camera excuse me what was the name of that thing you know uh i I got on the kickstarter i'm on the kickstarter i should know what it is (laughs) and i do not Uh. I cannot come up with the name of that either. I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. Uh, but anyway, I'm going to share my screen again, guys, because I just clicked the wrong button here. But this is DJI's entry into the market. Uh, still very little news on this yet. It's just starting to pop up. But uh, RedSharkNews.com has a little post on this. Looks like they're calling this guy the X5 and the X5R. And it is basically DJI's camera system with a interchangeable micro four thirds sensor built in now no word yet on what they're using for sensors or how expensive this is going to be but you put a 12 millimeter f20 or a 15 millimeter f17 on here and you could have some pretty decent stills as well as video in 4k from this guy and it has basically image stabilization built in because you have a three-axis uh, gyro system on the camera itself. And I know DJI's previous uh, iteration of their camera, you could buy a handle that actually adapted and had a battery pack and so on in order to use it off of your quadcopter or use it on your quadcopter. What do you think about this, Mitch? Is this going to kind of negate my Kickstarter investment? <laughs> Uh, no, did you? I, I'm quickly skimming the article on Red Shark. A um, bunch of nice guys over there too at Red Shark, by the way. It says the base level X5 retails for 1,800 pounds, and the R version costs a hefty $8,000. So no, that's not going to replace uh, your whatever that Kickstarter project M or X or Y or whatever that, because it was one letter or something. Uh, 
I I think it makes a lot of sense for DJI to get in the camera business because they're selling a boatload of quadcopters and everybody wants to attach a decent camera to the thing. So why not? Let's everybody get into the camera business. Hey, <laughs> if Blackmagic can do it, why not DJI? Of course. Well, one but of the nice I, things about DJI, though, is uh, they don't really have to get into the market because GoPro already uh, sources theirs from another manufacturer, their internals. Uh, so does, um, like, the, and actually I found it. It's the E1 camera. That's what we were trying to remember. That one's sourcing stuff from Panasonic. So theoretically, DJI could just go over to Panasonic and say, hey, give me a sensor, give me a microprocessor that will handle recording and give me some interface bits and I will build a case for it, a frame for it, and put it all into a sexy package that I can then sell for $8,000. Sorry, Mitch, I cut you off. What were you going to say? No, that's exactly right. Uh, You know, not being an equipment, original equipment manufacturer and and packaging these things together, that works, works all the time. Add value, make money. That's right. Now, uh, one other thing I wanted to mention on that Kickstarter, since uh, I did invest in it, uh, here it is right here. Notice that there are very few updates listed in this project. Um, uh, hopefully, uh, something comes out. Uh, they just finally got a, another update here as of this morning, and uh, it does look like they're showing some pictures of cameras so hopefully they are actually coming um from what i understand there were some issues with the first and second runs of manufacturing for this guy so if you're on the em or e1 camera kickstarter uh hopefully you'll actually see your camera hopefully i'll see my camera because (laughs) right now i'm so desperate for it that i'm buying other cameras to fill in the gap until such time as i get this little guy into my hands now, Mitch, we've had a pretty full show here, and we're pushing up against the hour mark. Is there any of this other stuff in the show notes that you want to talk about before we get out of here, man? No, 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 no. I I am talked out. <laughs> All right. On that note, guys, look forward to the five or the Planet Five D coverage of IBC as well as that New York conference with. Uh, Canon. I know there's some interesting sensor tech that's coming down the pike. So swing over to uh, Planet 5D and check that out. Uh, I'm doing your advertising for you, Mitch, right now. I'm just taking your wind out of your sails. <laughs> Where can people find you? Uh, I am on a website called planet5d.com. You can find me at smartbusinessplanet.com and planetmitch.com if you want to find out everything about me, which I just redesigned this week. So it looks awesome. Put some photos and some videos and stuff up there. So go check out planetmitch.com and... I had a fun time. Now turn that off. As always, guys, thanks for watching. And you can find me on Twitter at DSLR Film Noob. You can find this podcast anywhere podcasts are distributed, including SoundCloud, iTunes, and so on. As always, there's links in the crotch bar below of the video to the show notes and everything else. Always thank Mitch for doing the timestamps because I don't have time to do them while I'm shuffling through things. On that note, we will see you next time on another exciting episode of DSLR Film Noob Podcast! I always love seeing Mitch dancing in the background. As... We forgot to tell everybody about uh, the audio listeners, how they missed out on that awesome... Pirate that I did after the show last week.
You didn't cut that in on the audio, did you? I did not, but I can throw that in in this week's episode if you would like. Well, um, it's, I just I don't know. I want to make you go through all that extra work, but you know, one of the things that, and I'll throw this in to the audio portion so that you guys know that this goes on. If you watch the video version, Mitch and I, as well as Devin and I, tend to kind of cover random stuff at the end of the show because there's always that one thing that we wanted to talk about but we sort of skipped past it and a lot of times mitch will think of something at the end or devin will think of something or i'll think of something and we go into long tirades about whatever it is so if you miss out on that in the audio version uh be sure to swing by the video version and check that out mitch do you have any secret tirades for the end of this show you know, no, I, I haven't really planned on any. I, I actually, the tirade that uh, went on last week about mirrorless versus DSLR, I was thinking about going and actually turning that into a real video, uh, especially after watching the uh, interview with Chuck Westfall, which I know you guys haven't seen yet because he was still traveling home. Uh, we'll have that for you next week. But, but uh, Hugh asked him about mirrorless versus DSLRs, and I'm like, I still don't understand why we're making this big distinction between these two cameras. So maybe I'll turn that into a real rant that I'll publish somewhere eventually. It's just a matter of finding time to squeeze all this crap in. Man, oh. There was so much going on. Yeah, I wish I had a couple more people or clones of myself in order to accomplish more. Half the time I'm so busy doing the things that I get paid to do that when I'm doing the show, I don't have enough time to publish as much stuff as I want, write news articles like I used to. And I'm sorry, guys, I am, I don't have as much time to write anymore, but I'm trying to coax Devin into writing some things for oh, me. Yeah. So hopefully yeah. there'll be some more stuff coming soon. If you, if you, I'm sorry. If you want, you can have my virtual assistant. Uh, she's gotten really good at doing WordPress stuff. Uh, she, she actually will take something like a press release and do 85% of the content, uh, keywords and all that WordPress-ish kind of stuff. And we as writers just go in and slam in our comments at the top and, and we publish from there. So it's, it's actually saved me probably 30 to 45 minutes a post. So I can give you her address if you... <laughs> I, I would love to hear from her. Um, one of the things, guys, and I know... This is sort of, uh, you know, the making of the food. But uh, Mitch and I, we probably invest, I know I invest three or four hours, maybe even more into the show notes every time we put them together, uh, gathering up news articles, uh, writing commentary, uh, covering any kind of parts that we need to know about for different items, bringing hand products in to show you guys on the show. So it, it does take a lot of time to put that sort of thing together, and it's not easy. So, you know, show your support by hitting that like button and writing good right. reviews on iTunes and so on. That helps yes. us a lot. Got anything else to add before we get out of here, Mitch? No, I, I, was, I was reaching for my cheer because we definitely appreciate all those kinds of accolades. And, I mean, it does – I mean, it, People constantly ask for that kind of stuff, and it does help. I mean, you know, you you and I are sitting here sort of in a vacuum, and if people don't let us know, I mean, I just changed the layout of Planet 5D, by the way, and I don't know if you've looked, but 
it's hard to get sometimes input for people. I've had a couple of people email me and go, well, it's a, and I'll, I, here's my rant. Okay. My rant for the day. Oh, we got one coming. Guy wrote me and it said, the layout of your new website absolutely sucks. Change it or I'm gone. Change it to what? Okay. Thanks for your input. But what's wrong with it? Give me 30, 10, 10 seconds. Write down, tell me two things that's wrong. You know, tell me what's wrong so that I can try to fix it. And I ended up writing him back and saying, well, please give me a little bit of information, what you don't like about it, what's different, you know, what parts of it have changed that you don't like, and maybe I can fix it. And a, two of the comments that he sent in is, those are good ideas, and I changed the way the website looks because of what he said. But simply writing me and saying, your website sucks, I'm not going to read it anymore, doesn't help anybody. If you're gonna if you're gonna provide input, make it constructive and be positive about it. Don't just tell me it sucks and run away. Oh, I'm such an unhappy person. I'm not gonna write. Oh, <laughs> give me some positive, some constructive input, and maybe you'll find it that it works, and I'll change things. I I like input. I'm always willing to listen to input. Except for when somebody just says it's stupid. Yeah. As a filmmaker, what? you'll get that review that's like, you suck. And you're like, oh, which part? Can you break it down so I can do better next time? No, you just suck. Oh. That's all I've got. You know, I didn't really pay attention to write anything down and tell you why you suck. Okay, well then, do I suck? Or are you just a jerk? Is there He's an answer there? jerks. Because if they don't have the balls to, to put down two or three comments as to why, then it's useless freaking input. Useless, totally. Don't even waste my time making me read it if you're not going to give me some valuable input. I mean, when I, when, when I take a software product, like a couple of new products, uh, I've got a new product that I'm using right now called Close, C-L-O-Z-E incredible product and there's things that i don't like about it and do i write them and just go oh god this this part sucks and then walk away no i i do screen grabs and i show them if you change this this will be so much better and they write me back and go god mitch that's awesome so right now i'm actually beta testing a new release for them because they like my input so much that's what happened i mean if you give people input you can make changes as opposed to just yeah, there's another example. Um, I'm right on on the bandwagon here, Mitch. I contacted Small Rig, told them, "Hey, there's the problem. It's not working for me, and here are some possible solutions. What do you think?" And they immediately responded, "Like, yes, that's a really easy fix. Here's a plate that fixes it. No problem. We'll send it out. Thanks for the information. Now we can make it better for everybody." And yeah. that constru constructive criticism, or you know, here's the problem that you could address. That helps everybody because now we can create better content, better products, better everything for everybody as opposed to just like, I don't like that. It's awful. Well, okay. Well, if you don't tell me what's awful, how do I ever make it not awful? Otherwise, right. it's just going to be awful forever and you're just going to hate everything. You always... and, and, and frankly, that's what I tell our writers and that's what I do when I do a review. I, and I tell the, the, the vendor before we even 
accept a product for review and I say, look, we're going to find something that could be improved on everything. And we're going to tell people about it. And we'll probably tell you about it beforehand in case you want to maybe say, hey, that's a great idea. Or, you know, like you said, with the small rig thing. But there's always something that can be improved. And if you don't give that, people would say, well, Mitch, you're sponsored by Rode, right? So you're never going to say anything negative. Well, pfft. The guys at Rhodes certainly know I give them all kinds of feedback and say, hey, if you did this, that would certainly make it a better product. And they have therefore invited me like to their events and stuff. And they're like, we like that kind of input, Mitch. That's what helps us make better products like DJ just said. <gasps> so people who are out there just bitching for the sake of bitching, you can go jump in a lake because you're doing nothing for anybody. Uh, and we did get a rant out of Mitch. That was great. I actually enjoy these. They're kind of fun to dive into. You feel better? <laughs> yes, I do. All right, guys. Uh, for those of you still Bye. watching the end of the show, that was great. Make sure you send your feedback to Mitch via Twitter, uh, <laughs> at Planet Mitch. He and loves to get that. If you don't want a new layout, website layout, let me know. I want to know. All right, guys. We'll see you next time on another exciting episode of DSLR. Film Noob Podcast. Oh, yes.